Welcome to another edition of AP's Profiles in Christian Living. My name is Mark Powell. It's great to have you with us. I've got a very special edition this time because I've got four guests with me rather than one. I've got Leah, Samuel, Rian and James. Welcome. It's great to have you with us. Great to be with you today, Really good to be here. Well, today we're talking about the Gay Conversion Bill. This is being debated in Tasmania at the moment. It's also come into law in places such as Victoria and it's soon to come into law, I think, throughout Australia. Uh, Leah, if I could start with you. You used to be a lesbian. Mm. You're now married. You've got two kids. Yeah. You tried to access uh, healthcare professionals who were simply affirming. Mm-hmm. Was it helpful to have that at that time in your life or was it actually damaging? I, I found it to be a very negative experience, to be honest. Um, I, I went to a GP to uh, actually to go into the mental health care plan in order mm. to, to seek help from a psychologist and he took that affirmative approach mm. um, and and I just found that um, it was it was not helping what it, what are the support that I was actually after. Mm. Uh, it actually became quite humiliating for me, um, and and it just put a bit of a, a roadblock on on the path that I was seeking. Mm. Um, so yeah, I did not find it helpful at all, and I and I left that place feeling extremely uh, dejected and and shattered. Mm. Uh, but I take it that just because like you're now married. Um, obviously to a man, you've got two kids. Um, But that doesn't mean that those desires always go away. Like, Samuel, for you, would you say that that's still something that you wrestle with? Uh, Absolutely, Mark. I I don't deny the fact I'm still same-sex attracted. Mm. But what I'm noticing is is my same-sex attraction has lessened. As I've I've gone through my my process of counselling and support, my same-sex attraction is lessening. It's still there and still very much a reality, but it doesn't have the control of my life that it used to. Um, a brief example is I used to struggle very much so with pornography. And there was a time where I'd be watching pornography first thing in the morning and right before I went to bed if I wasn't looking for a hookup during the day. It was it was this, anyway, it was three or four men a week as well. Mm-hmm. So, and in the gay community, that's not many. Um but now I can go months without looking at pornography. Um, I can go months without having that desire to be sexual with another man. Actually, I, it's interesting. One thing I've I've noticed over my time is, is the desire to actually be sexually intimate with another man is decreasing. It's 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 my sexual. Attra- I, do I start still find men attractive? Yes. Do I want to be sexual with them? No. And there's not this urge to be sexual with another man it's I see now that I don't want to be physical alone I want a heart-to-heart relationship mm. that's what I that's what I long for more now mm. than to actually just be physical with him and reading your own story and you might want to give our viewers a bit of a a, a history yeah. a, a recap what do you think is the connection between same-sex attraction for you and childhood trauma or sexual abuse mm. is it legitimate to make that connection oh, absolutely Absolutely. I think for me, I was quite young when I was sexually abused. It wasn't until I started counselling that I actually, the the memory started to rise again. Because it was so traumatic, I had blocked it out of of my memory. And what abuse does to to a person is actually it shatters their boundaries. It shatters their trust. It shatters their ability to relate to people. For me, it shattered my ability to relate to other men and other boys. So they became... I couldn't trust them. Mm. Um, of course, all, all on a, sub, a subconscious level, like they became 
and I actually distanced myself from them. Um, so I would go and I felt uncomfortable around. So I'd spend most of my friends growing up were all girls. I was, I was you know, in primary school, my friends were girls and later in high school, the people I connected easiest with were, were also girls. But not just say is, is my emotional support group was my mother and my sisters. Mm. It wasn't my father and my two older brothers. Mm. I, I just, I felt, I felt disconnected from them. Mm. And so I absolutely could say it's applicable to, to join the two together. Okay. Um, and a lot of people, it's, it's not necessarily to say that anyone who's sexually abused will end up with same-sex attraction, mm. but that's just what's happened in my situation. Well, what struck me is, Rian, when I, when I read your story, which was just heartbreaking, um, there seemed to also be that connection. Would, would you affirm what Samuel has just said? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I didn't, I didn't come from a Christian background at all through my family. Um, you know, we didn't practice, you know, that both my parents are baptised, but, yeah, mm. uh, coming from a stolen generation and Aboriginal identity, uh, we, you know, Christians are looked very badly upon um, because of the stolen generation. So, you know, when it all came about for me is you, I didn't even realise my sexual abuse. I, I just didn't want to be a victim. So I had that mentality and I just thought, you know, because I'm I'm, I'm 37, uh, you know, back when everything started to happen for me and I started to re- realise at that time, oh, my goodness, I think I'm gay, you, no one spoke about it. No one had public affection or anything like that. And um, so trying to come out at that time was just not common. So your story's a really interesting one because, you know, you've had lots of relationships with women. Yes. Then you've even been married to a Muslim man. Yes. Um, which itself, from your own testimony, was quite abusive. Yes. And now you've ended up in a, a Christian church. <laughs> yes. I would have thought... The world would say that's the last place we thought you would have yeah. found a safe place. Yeah. What sort of role has the Christian church played, do you think, in your healing? I just wanted more of God. Mm. That's that's where Islam came into it because I found that all my relationships with women weren't working and even when in my early 20s I dated a lot of men as well, um, in and out of relationships, uh, you know, at one night stands, you name it. Um, so when I finally came out of my, uh, you know, same-sex uh, engagement and we were going to be, be married and we did say yes to the S vote, I found an old friend that we started working together and I just started the conversation about God because I really wanted to know and I thought if anyone could help me, it could be God. Mm-hmm. You know, I really needed I really needed to fill that void because after my mum passed away when I was 25, I felt a pit, a dark pit within the centre of my being and it didn't, never dissipated. And, and then when I started to look into Islam, I, I found like it started to go, it started to dissipate and it started to be fulfilled in a totally different way than all the other relationships that never served me mm. or um, just abused me mentally, physically, all that kind of stuff. Um, so when I stepped into that and because of the Islam uh, religion is also their culture that's associated with that too. A lot of the aspects of that can actually tie into traditional ways of the Aboriginal culture. So then I started to feel, oh, this is actually, you know, this could actually be where I am. You know, they're accepting of my Aboriginal culture as well as God. So, um, but then I found, again, it was quite toxic and and I thought, this is not God, you know. Plus they also teach you in my circumstance and the way that I felt that you 
<laughs> meant to argue with other Christians about God. And I don't like to argue. I'm like, it's for me, it's it's God. Everyone, everyone, if they have a religion, they believe in the one true God. You know. So, um, and then after that ended, I just try, was trying deeply to find God again. And that's when I had a friend at work that was Christian, and we just we connected on 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 the same-sex attraction side and he was Christian and I was like, this is really confusing for me. And he really came together as a friend at foremost rather than looking at my religion as something bad and let's argue about whose God is right, let's let's come together as peer support for each other on same-sex attraction. And that just that made me so happy and I had a friend that completely understood me on a deeper level mm. and... Um, and it just, the way it happened, it's a really funny story through Snapchat and then just the day of it, we ended up at Kingdom City and, I, you know, Mark spoke to me of hardening of the heart and I thought, you know, this is the reason why God can't come into my life again is I've hardened my heart against letting him in, truly letting him in and guide me. So just before I go to James, because I want to uh, ask, uh, drill down on some of this with James in just a moment, I've got to ask you though, what do you think is the difference Jesus has made to you that Islam didn't offer? He died for me. Mm. So, you know, they Islam believes that Jesus didn't die for you, you know, um, and the fact of I, I actually was started research and, you know, yes, I accepted Jesus, but I really went into all my research about it and I found Nabil Quraysh and mm. his journey of coming to Christianity from being Muslim and he, his description of Jesus dying for me completely just cemented it for me because, you know, you can't survive that crucifixion. There's just no way, no way in reality that, that that's happened. So, and that just, that become, that became it for me. I, I wanted someone, because of my Aboriginal identity that I was holding quite tightly, you know, we're stubborn, <laughs> we, we're very prideful, that type of thing. We don't, you know, you can't tell me anything. Like it's, mm. you know, we're very proud people. So I needed love mm. and he was love for me. Mm. I needed love and understanding and that just took over my life and has been an amazing presence in my yeah, life. Fantastic. Now, James, picking up on something Samuel said before, and that is Samuel was talking about having multiple partners, um, sexual partners each week. I know you yourself have said over your life you've had at least 200 sexual partners. One of the things that I've noticed in your testimony, which actually is picked up in some other people's too, is a passage from Joel 2.25. The years the locusts have eaten, God restores and gives back. How have you, in your experience, seen that to be true? Well, what, for what happened for me in, in, in coming out, and I've got to say this, that I came out, my family was very accepting of that. I was the first guy to come out in my Christian high school and and people just loved me. I mean, literally, I, 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 the only time I've ever faced people against me is actually from the LGBT community itself. Uh, previous, prior to that and, and elsewhere, I've, I've never experienced that. People have given me the freedom to live my so life. So you didn't find Christians to be hostile and angry? On the, on the contrary, what you have to understand is, you know, I still was going to church while I was hanging out with my 200, well, you know, going through these several hundred male lovers. But even when I entered into my long-term gay relationship, it was there that a guy at university invited, he said to me, do you want more love in your life? And this goes back to restoring the years the locusts have eaten. And I said, 
haymate who doesn't want more life in their love in their life. And of course, it's true. So when I said yes to Jesus, and I wasn't repenting of homosexuality or anything, I said, if there's anything that stands in the way of your love, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to be loved by you, and I want to be loved forever. I think it's the cry of every human heart. And I said to him, do with that whatever you will. And I, I didn't feel anything about God, but, but I made that decision. I learned to walk in faith. In other words, I didn't feel anything. I just walked with the truth. I'd made that decision. And I began just to still my soul like a well-fed child, as I now understand the words in the psalmist to say those, these things. And my boyfriend noticed there was a difference in me. So there we were. As a gay couple, we started going to church, and he gave his life to Jesus, and we became the archetypal gay Christian couple. At no point did anybody challenge us about sexuality. What they did do is they took very seriously the role of discipling us. And they too were saying to us, look, we're broken. We, we, you know, we've all gone astray like sheep and, you know, doing whatever we want, the devices, desires of our hearts. But Jesus has placed upon himself all those shortcomings of all of us. Mm. So we learned, we learned what it was just to be open to looking at those shortcomings, really. Mm. Um, now, as I began to do that more and more and more, what happened is I began to feel this this deep sense of unrest in this perfect gay Christian relationship I was in. And we really were upheld by many people in the gay community in London where I was living at the time. And I just knew that, you know, I'd learned to already make some crazy decisions maybe by entering the church in some way. But I made the decision that I needed to really surrender everything to Jesus. Mm. I finished my gay relationship. I left the gay community. And I'll be honest with you, in the background, I thought, if my boyfriend really loves me and this doesn't work, I just go back to him. I go back to the community. What have I got to lose? So I made that decision. It was from there, as I increased my prayer life and the stilling of my soul, that things began to rise that put me into regular therapy. I had no desire to change my sexual orientation. I didn't believe I could. I was told it's impossible, so don't go there. So I didn't. But I did say to Jesus, you can have everything. It was from there in the therapeutic sessions, in the quietness of my own prayer. I also was um, regularly praying with a wonderful Christian man who had a good understanding of these things. And what happens is the years of my past began to rise. Mm. I began to f come in touch with deeply repressed pain of sexual abuse, the exposure to pornography, the fact that I'd been raped at 16, 17, and 18, having become alcohol dependent at that point. Um, also there, there was the fact that I was, I'd still was um, struggling with di different fetishes and different kinks. But even before the sexual abuse had started at eight, I realized that I'd been, the bullying at school, the fact that I had become intertwined through being abandoned as a baby and adopted with my twin sister, I'd been intertwined with her personality She'd been intertwined with mine. It made sense suddenly that why at the age of 17 I wanted to wear eyeliner and wear foundation, that I believed I was a woman trapped in a man's body. And even in my perfect gay relationship, I was still thinking, well, maybe I'm really a heterosexual woman mm. stuck in this body. Mm. And that's why I've got this desire for this lovely strong guy, etc. Mm. I just thank God that I wasn't a teenager today, I would be first in that queue at the gender clinic and I'd be begging them for, for cross-sex hormones and to, to, to mutilate my very healthy body. I'm pleased to say, having become a dad um, through heterosexual marriage, that, um, uh, that that didn't happen to me. But what did happen is all those different traumas and tribulations and, and all the pain that I'd stuffed, 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 stuffed down 
the Holy Spirit was able to help these to rise, but also to teach me how to be reconciled with my past, to permit the Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today and forever, present across all time, his healing touch, the same healing touch we read about in the Gospels, touch my life. So the areas where I got stuck or there was neglect or I'd become broken or abused, Jesus came and restored those years. Today, I love being a bloke. I love mm. it. I'm a bloke. Mm. You know, there's no way I'm a woman. Mm. I love walking with blokes. I love honouring women. I love that. Mm. You know, this is who God created me to be. If I hadn't said yes to Jesus and got the therapy and the counsel I got that many of our parliamentarians today are trying to ban and in some cases have banned, mm. I wouldn't be able to become all that God had created me to be. Okay, so let me ask each of you a question. Sam Albury from the UK wrote a little book called Is God Anti-Gay? And in it, he says, the Bible requires us not to repent necessarily of, um, uh, repentance doesn't look from being LGBTIQ to being heterosexual, but to loving God, to being holy. How would you respond to that? Agree? Disagree? Samuel always has a good response. Uh, I agree agree because, yeah, I say to people, my goal is not heterosexuality, my goal is holiness. Yes, that's right. Because... Or well, so I become heterosexual, then what? I can go sleep around with whoever I want. Mm. That it doesn't. That's not how it works. Hol, hol, holiness is to is to strive to be like God, mm. and not just that. Is is if we're doing anything, whether it be homosexual sex, whether it be heterosexual sex, it's outside God's boundaries. It's going to be harmful to us. Mm. Yeah. So I don't think God is anti-gay. I think it's the boundaries that we put we, that we put on God. Why should we be limiting God and what he can do? Okay. And I think I, I definitely experienced, you know, that when I was in that wrestle and, and I was, you know, trying to figure out what was going on and the more I tried not to be homosexual and tried <laughs> to be heterosexual, the worse it got. It's just it's not a good strategy. Um, and mm. so that call to be holy is is such a much better aim, you know, to, to be able to strive for because if you just try and stop what you're doing, well, it's almost like saying don't walk on the green grass. You yeah, know? Like, it's like I'm going to walk yeah, on the green grass right. now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I would say this, that what I came to understand is my same-sex attraction wasn't wrong. It was just... Um, misinterpreted, it was twisted. You know, we know, we as Christians now know that, you know, Satan can't create anything. He just twists what's good or he covers it, layers it with what's good. So I've come to understand, actually, I should find other men attractive. They are damn attractive. God makes some incredible men and some most beautiful women. But none of them and no one is to be an object of my worship other than God himself. So what's happened is, and I know I speak for us as men, and and I spent 30-something years walking alongside literally thousands of of men and women struggling with same-sex attraction. Deep, deep down, we were all looking for non-sexualized friendship and a sense of the attention of each other, the affirmation of each other, a healthy non-sexual affection that would actually enable us to be able to walk towards God himself. So Mm -hmm. is God anti-gay? On the contrary, God has a heart for everybody who is same-sex attracted. We've got to remember that word gay is a very new word. Even the word homosexuality only came about in the 1860s. So these are actually even new concepts are words we use, and words are very powerful. Mm. These words that we use here in the 21st century, we need to almost to get rid of all of those and realise there's as many types of, if you like, homosexuality as there are people who experience homosexuality. So just on that, James, is that really getting to the heart of it, that your identity is not your sexuality? Absolutely. Well, I mean, Mark, 
I ask, we ask you this question, how many places and times do you go and say, hi, I'm Mark, I'm straight, or whatever word you want to use. <laughs> you, and, and this is what we've come to understand mm. on our journey of, um, in a sense, um, in a healing, you might call it, or a place of just finding just greater, greater mental health and inner well-being, is we've come to realise that what was our focus of sexuality, and it really, really was for each one of us to some degree in places, that that in itself was a false avenue. That avenue was a limited avenue. That's why, in many cases, it was part of the reason we ended up with mental health issues. It's part of the reason why we, we were, began to self-harm or suicidal. We, you know, we're in such restrictive boundaries, we weren't able to breathe and to be able to make the choices that we needed to have the freedom to make. Mm. And this is why when we love our brothers and sisters in the LGBTQ plus community, mm. I mean, we really love them mm. because we know that pathway and that walk. But we're realising if they're not careful, they're limiting what they've got. Yeah. And we understand that to some extent we might look like the, the alcoholics that went to AA and came out the other side and got sober. And that's threatening to the alcoholic maybe. And we're not out to threaten our brothers and sisters in the LGBT community. We're saying, hey, we actually do respect the fact you have a choice, but please respect the fact that we have a choice too. And we are concerned for your mental welfare. We are mm. concerned for your emotional life. We're concerned for the quality of the relationships you've got. Mm. The, that analogy with AA is a very powerful one because um, the Tasmanian Law Reform Institute has said that any form of gay conversion practice, and they're not just talking about forced coercion, they're talking about prayer, they're talking about reading the Bible. They're talking about mums and dads having a, just a discussion at the table with their kids mm. around, you know, I mean, this is like, you know, if an eight or nine-year-old comes out from school and they are doing today, and I've seen it happen, you know, with, uh, with, with the kids around me, is they're coming back and they're asking certain questions about themselves. I remember mm. my own child coming out of school at nine saying, the girls at school are saying they're lesbians. Well, it's because they'd read a book or two from the school library and this had given them a concept that if they were a girl that liked a girl, which is very healthy at nine years of age, mm. they must be a lesbian. Well, they type lesbianism into the computer or something when they're on their own. They get all sorts of images and concepts oh, yeah. that is going to deeply, deeply affect mm. the way in which their own sexual persona is going to be developed. And this is our grave concern today. Mm. So it's not just about prayer and, and what I'd say they're calling it conversion practices. It means anything that dare to even question. Or yeah, bring about anything that's not affirming. That's this, right. this, this conversation we're having right here. Mm. This would be outlawed. Yeah, that's right. Criminal basically, basically us coming to talk to you to tell us our, our stories. Well, I, I, I totally agree with you because I used the word before healing mm. and I thought that's actually part of the law reforms prosecution is to say any sense or any terminology that is associated with brokenness or healing will be outlawed. Ryan, can I just ask you this question. Mm -hmm. There'll be people listening to this mm -hmm. and they're just thinking, yeah, but I'm in the midst, I'm I'm in the bottom of the pit right now. Mm -hmm. My desires are just like too strong. I might want to change, but there's no hope to change. What would you say to them? That's an interesting question. Because it, with my journey, it, you know, even though I, I felt in that pit, um, I had someone that I was working with to talk to. And it was through that connection that I came that I came to Jesus. So you know, but you've got to sometimes you've got to be careful with your story and, and who you, who you speak to because they might not understand you, and they they might find it really difficult and overwhelming to talk about the, some of the, some of the things that you that you've dealt with or that you're going through. People are unfortunately just 
are naturally judgmental. It's just, it's in our, I find it's in our DNA that people don't sometimes realise that they're doing it, you know, even that they've got the, mm-hmm. the best of intentions. I think that it's, in my own experience, um, if you really trust someone that that you feel you can be open with, just to start, just to let the darkness out, absolutely talk to them as much mm. as you can. But, you know, talk to them and say, listen, if this is too overwhelming for you though, please tell me um, because I just want to talk to someone that I trust mm. and that understands me and that will come from a place of love mm. first and then and then start to start to look at possibly cancelling and, and and come from the perspective of this is this is what my mental health is right now. You know, this is what my health is right now. And 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 build from there. Okay. Yeah. And I think if I can add yeah, to that, of course. Is, uh, we've all been in that place of mm. deep despair and, and yeah. that real pit. Um, and the thing that ch- absolutely pivotally changed my, you know, that, that place for me was that I heard a story of someone who had come out, had, had walked away from the lesbian identity and that just gave me one word, mm. hope. And, mm. and, and that's why we are so keen to share our stories. You know, I mean... Samuel has said to me before, we shouldn't have to share our stories. They're yeah. deeply personal stories. But we're so keen to share our stories to provide hope for people, no matter what you're struggling with, whether it's same-sex attraction, gender dysphoria, pornography, whatever it is, um, we're providing hope that through Jesus change is possible. He, mm. he, is a, he has a power of transformation. And so while we know that people are in that that horrible pit of despair, mm. um, you can always look to hope through Jesus. Now, pornography yeah. is a big issue. I know Samuel and James, you particularly picked up on this, but it's not just a male problem. Not at all. In fact, our church did a survey. We found that a, an overwhelming majority of young women also wrestle with them. What do you think are some of the most helpful strategies you've found personally in dealing with pornography? I would say this, that um, first of all, you've got to admit to yourself, this is a problem. Right. That, and and look, as I said earlier, nothing is hidden from God. So, and certainly when I'm dealing with blokes, when I'm dealing with young late, young women today, and you're right, a third of, of, of porn consumption today, they say is from young women. Um, I, rather than saying to somebody, you know, oh, are you struggling with porn? I just go for the bullet and say, oh, what categories are you looking at these days? And the reason I do that, Mark, is because what happens is either somebody's not looking at it, and that's fine, but if they are looking at it, it's not just the fact that looking at it is a problem, is that the categories they're even looking at says a lot about what's going on inside of them. You know, when we go and buy certain types of clothing, we want to look a certain way. When we want to eat certain foods, it might say a lot about our own dignity and what we think about nutrition and diet. Well, even in people's pornography um, addiction and what they look at, God is trying to speak to them to say, hey, you're trying to scratch an itch there that actually you need to bring that itch to me so that I can scratch it. So again, James, is it a form of of idolatry or false worship? Absolutely, absolutely. And of course, you know, um, uh, I once read that um, the problem with pornography is not that it shows too much. It doesn't show enough in the sense that what happens is it doesn't show the fact that our sexuality and the sexual aspect of us is something that needs to be linked with spirituality, that it needs to be something that is is humbled and and placed before the Lord himself. And I hold up an iPhone in my hand here. If I don't submit this to a charger and the wall that I plug it in, 
it ain't going to fulfill its purpose. The same is true with our lives. We need to be able to come into the light, to stop hiding mm. away what's going on, to actually permit the shame bubble that people feel around pornography and around issues to do with sexuality, for that, that shame bubble to have a safe enough environment to be able to be burst. Okay, so that shame bubble, yeah. how important is it to be able to confess, like the Bible says, confess your sins to one another, mm. pray for one another that you may be healed. And I think then it goes on to say the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Have you found that strategy to be true? When, when, sorry, Samuel, I'll just like But Baby, Riyadh first and then Samuel? Yeah, no, that's right, yeah. <laughs> that's what I was They're keen. <laughs> we all want to talk about shame. But it's just because I, um, when I first started, uh, when I first met James and, and Samuel in this peer support group, um, the first meeting I went to, we started talking about porn and masturbation and I was like, whoa, what, what kind of group did I come to? Oh, my goodness, who talks about this stuff openly like this? You know, it was that type of mentality because it's not spoken about at all, especially for women. Um So them in their vulnerability and openness and and just letting it out, that actually encouraged me a lot mm. um, to then like it took a while for me to actually really start coming out and saying this is what I'm going through this week. This is how many times I've done it. This is this is why I've done it. Like once I started to open that floodgate and stuff because I knew exactly what they were talking about and knew that they would understand me but, and it was really, really helpful for them to be really upfront and honest with what they're going through and then that just poured over and I was able to as well. Mm. So it, it can be, but it's it chokes your throat, it makes your mouth dry and then you're like, oh, don't look at you because you're going to judge me. But they didn't. They come up with love and openness and it was, you got hugs afterwards and it was beautiful and it's just like now I don't, you can't shut me up. <laughs> <laughs> Samuel, I think for me like the whole shame aspect is really important because I had been shamed in the fact I was watching pornography by someone who cared unintentionally. They were trying to help me, but the way they went about it, actually, I felt great shame and I got actually hit it more. And I just got better at hiding it. And so for me, and the big thing is, I think, as James said, is we have to accept our reality. Mm. If you can't, first you accept your reality, but then you've got to be open and honest about it. If you can't have that open and honesty, you go, you go nowhere. Mm. And it's like any addiction is, is if you can't if you're not honest with yourself where you are, you're never going to be, move beyond the struggle. But not just that. It's like any addiction. The the, porn, the watching of the porn itself is actually a symptom. As a, and, and, and one thing one thing I've on my own journey is, like I said, I still struggle with pornography every now and again, but nowhere near as much as I used to. But I, I'm at a point now where I, I can go to myself, I feel like watching porn. And I can go, all right, what is it that I feel I'm missing that I think the porn will fulfill? And I can take a step back and I can go, well, do you know what? I haven't had an honest heart-to-heart conversation with someone for a few days. So I haven't had that heart-to-heart connection. I haven't been present, truly present to someone. So my soul and my heart are longing for that connection. I'm looking for that dopamine rush. Um, but not just that. It's the whole have I been exercising enough? Mm-hmm. Have I been, am I lying? To, because often, yep. Yeah, like I said, porn is a symptom. Often, if it's it's a little things that lead up to the big the big sin, mm. and I go, have I been getting enough sleep? 
Have I been eating properly? Have I been honest? Because, you know, you start lying in small things, you start lying in big things. And that all just feeds into itself. So for me, the, the, the breaking of the shame bubble has been absolutely important because I can go, oh, no, this is my reality. This is where I am. So let me ask you a very sensitive question, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Reader, beware <laughs> the question. Because, I, I mean, Rian, you raised this, but how important is it to not only stop watching pornography but to stop masturbating? How important is that connection? Because of um, because I've only been a Christian for two years, mm. um, I'm still dealing with a lot of things. Sure. And as things come up, you know, I, te- I, I will self-soothe, mm. you know, like uh, I've just been diagnosed with severe arthritis and stuff. So and with that, with all the emotional stuff that comes up and, and because women are emotional people um, and because I haven't had a lot of female-to-female healthy connection and male connection, absolutely I'll still I'll still do it every now and then when I feel definitely triggered. Um, it's hard and, and sometimes you've just got to be able to get on your knees and pray. Mm. I would say this is, and again, the massive problem for me years ago, compulsory masturbator. But what happens is I found I could repent and repent till the cows come home. I could bring it into the light till the cows come home. But what happened is this, as I waited on the Spirit of God and I cried out to God with a real empty heart and a broken heart, which again was his work in me anyway, the Lord began to show me that the masturbation was the fruit of a deeper problem, that I would run to masturbation to self-soothe, to self-medicate. It was a way for me of getting that sort of lifted rush, the dopamine, the, you know, the adrenaline rush that, 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 that should be there within orgasm. And that actually what I needed to be repenting of was the fact that I had anxiety that I wanted to deal with. I wouldn't let Jesus deal with it and become entering into the source of that. So, of course... For, for me to bring the anxiety to the Lord, he had to let it rise up within me. And when it rose up, I would try and deal with it rather than saying, oh, you're doing something in me. You're trying to actually restore the year's locus of Eden. I need to bring to you the anxiety that I felt in the early stages of my life of being abandoned or the anxiety I felt as a young boy in an all-boys school and being bullied and called gay, the anxiety I felt through my abuse, the anxiety I felt by having this porn addiction, the rest of it. So... I realized that I need that I needed to wait on the Holy Spirit to show me the actual nub of why I was masturbating. And of course, to masturbate, it, it you know, fantasy is linked with masturbation. Yeah. And that fantasy is very similar to what Jesus says. It's what Jesus says in the gospel. If you look at anybody else as an object of your gratification or as an object to soothe yourself, they become your God. Mm-hmm. And that's what he means by sin. And, and he says, I don't think Jesus is cracking his whip saying, you nasty person. In fact, he's saying, please don't do that mm-hmm. because it's stopping you from accessing the source of pure love that you were created mm. by and you were created for. Yeah, that's very powerful because, again, it comes back to worship, doesn't it? It does all the time. Um, and, again, it's, AA is one of the things that's so helpful in AA is surrendering that there's a first step to a higher power. That's right. Knowing that you need somebody else, someone, to get you out of the pit. There's a young guy in my congregation who's wrestled with homosexuality, has found real freedom and um, he would describe it as victory, even though it's a continual temptation. But he, he he's asked me to ask you all this, okay? What specific message in the gospel helped each of you to turn the tide um, with your own same-sex attraction? 
Leah, can we start yeah, with you? Yeah, I, I brought along my Bible. <laughs> um, you can cheat, by the way. You can look at phones. <laughs> um, look, something that just really stood out to me um, was in Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. And I'll just read it for you because mm. I, I don't want to paraphrase. I'll get it wrong. Um, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise mm. with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. Mm. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness and courage so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. That was just a huge comfort for me because I didn't disclose any of my my feelings uh, with anyone for a very long time. And so, as again, rings true in all our testimonies, is you feel so alone. Mm. Um, but then when you find others who, who have walked very similar journeys and are still in that journey, and you find Jesus himself, you know, he he was tempted, yet it was without sin, of course, but um, that that is a huge comfort to me and it means that he can totally understand what we're going through. He, he gives us hope out of it, of course. Yeah, just that comfort. That- so those times, Leah, when you are tempted or even today, yeah, particularly yeah. in the past, but yeah. even today, and you go to Jesus thinking, wow, you know exactly what yeah. this is like. We have a saviour who can relate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's there's real relevance there. You know, he he can totally understand what, what we're going through and and provides the pathway out, you know, like that that is that is one was one of my greatest comforts, still is. Excellent. Excellent. Samuel, what about you? I think for me it's it's Joel 225. <laughs> I was told to you the, the years of locusts have eaten. Because I think for me so many of my years I felt, I didn't feel complete. I didn't feel broken. I felt so alone. And when I started to look at this, I thought, I've lost so much of my life. You know, why is it now I'm only discovering this? But I, I, I look back and I go, oh, my goodness, as I go on this journey, I wouldn't be sitting here in front of you today had I not gone through what I'd gone through. Yes, it was awful. But to, God is restoring and 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 everything to me and he's using all my mess and he's making it my message. It's making it, he's making it his message. So can I ask you a personal question? Mm. Just sorry to interrupt you because yeah. there'll be some people that would say that and I think they'd be really offended. They'd go, what do you mean there was all those wasted years? What, can you explain a little bit more about that? I suppose I suppose looking back, did, did, did my abuse, did the way I related to people, did that, did that affect the way I live my life. Absolutely. I, I know I fell short in many areas of my life. I'm, I was a massive procrastinator because I, I, I would avoid doing things because I didn't have the confidence within myself to actually feel comfortable doing certain things. So I would avoid them. I'd avoid certain people. I'd avoid certain relationships that now I'm starting to experience those. I'm going, oh, my goodness, I wish I had this sooner, but I have to keep telling myself no. It would have been nice to have it sooner, but God is giving it to me now, but in an even greater way, and I'm so even more grateful for it because I, for so long I went without it. I want to come back to that in just a moment, but I want to hear from our, our, our other two <laughs> panellists because I, I want to come back to actually talk to you all about how your life has changed for the better. 
what sort of fruitfulness are you seeing in your lives? But before we get there, I'm about to call you Rihanna, right? But I know it's not that, okay? So I'm just going to get that out there. It's not Rihanna. All right, yeah, yes. Rihanna. Um, what passage from or what part so, of the gospel do you think? If there was a passage from the Bible? I don't remember my passages. I've got a worse memory for that. Um, but what Aboriginal people are all about stories and that speaks to us a lot more. If you, we can spin a yarn once <laughs> when you get a group of us together. So it's it's the, you know, when I think it's the Israelites, Israelites come out for 40 years and, you know, the Lord provides manna. And that speaks to me because it's him that provides everything for me. You know, um, if, you know, he sustains us Mm -hmm. like with food and with water and, you know, like that was a really teachable moment for me because, you know, again, going back to the Aboriginal identity, uh, unfortunately, it's just, um, you know, we're, we're taught to have this, you know, you've got to be well off in life and do well and prove yourself constantly as Aboriginal people to keep up with everybody else, that type of thing. So, you know, we always about providing for ourselves um, and providing for our families. So, but when you rely on the Lord, he provides. Mm. So that's what speaks to me a lot more. And just before we get to James, because I know he'll have a lot to say on this, which I'm, <laughs> which I'm looking forward to, um, but... In 1 Corinthians 10, it reminds me that the Apostle Paul talks about how the Israelites were provided with manna every day in the wilderness Mm. and that these were lessons and examples for us on whom the fulfilment of the ages has come. And then he has this really interesting comment. He says, he talks about then temptation and that God will always provide us with a way out. Uh, So he provides not just for us with food, but also with a way of escape with temptation. Do you think that's true? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. You know, like what he was teaching to the Israelites at that time too, you know, that um, they wanted to be greedy and hold off the the manner and Mm. and he taught them, no, because I can provide for you. Trust me each day. Trust me. That's right. So absolutely. It's just, it's about trust and, and, and relying on the Lord to provide that for you. Okay. Um, and and especially in this healing journey, it comes with a lot of trust. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, when you go through this journey, especially from the whole sexual abuse and same-sex attraction and all that type of stuff, you know, um, you rely a lot. You try to rely heavily a lot on other people. Um, but, then it, it, but then it's like your focus comes back to God. Okay. Okay, James, what's helped okay, you? My, mine is John 11, 22, and it's a story of Lazarus. Uh, basically, Martha goes out to meet Jesus, and Lazarus has been dead four days. And she says to him in uh, uh, John eleven twenty one, she says, Lord, if you had been there, then I believe that my brother would still be alive. And the word she says in verse 22, she says, but even now, I know that whatever, I, whatever you ask, it will be granted. She's almost saying, well, my brother's dead, but it's still in your hands. And there we see in John eleven forty four. We see Jesus turning around and ha- having asked Lazarus to come out of the tomb in verse uh, 43, he says, you unbind him. And there's a sense in which he's talking to the people around and the people have bound up this dead body. And there's an extent to which I realized was the Lord was showing me my life had been bound up by many things that had happened to me and by many decisions that I'd made as a result of what had happened to me, be it neglect or abuse, or whatever. And therefore, it was going to take society to help unbind me. And I need to be careful who I chose in society. I needed to choose people who believed in Jesus and were listening to his voice. But also I needed to recognize that wherever I was absolutely dead, 
Jesus could still bring life. That gave me hope. See, that's a fascinating parallel because in the uh, Tasmanian Reform Institute report, they're saying that any form of gay conversion therapy, not just forced, but anything but verbal affirmation is yeah. conversion therapy, right? Uh, they're saying that it's it doesn't work and if you try, it's harmful. But you're saying, actually, well, we have a God that raises the dead. <laughs> Absolutely we do. Absolutely we do. And as I say, you know, I understand where um, those people who are fighting to ban any form of conversion practice, I understand where they're coming from. Because what it does mean is you literally do have to die to yourself. You have to face the fact that actually there's something somewhere that's been malformed. That's true of all of our lives. It isn't that anybody's trying to have a go at an L or a G or a B or a T or an X or a Y or Z. It's a fact is, is all of our lives in somewhere or other need to be more greatly fine-tuned. We all need to turn around and reject pride, great pride month coming to the end as we record this, and we need to recognise that we too need to humble ourselves. As I said, if my iPhone, if it says you're not sticking a little wire in me and you're not sticking that wire in the wall, it's not going to work. We've come to understand, and this is why our message is so strong to our brothers and sisters in the LGBTQ community and those who aren't in the community but who are same-sex attracted and gender dysphoric, we're saying to them, hey, guess what? We've got good news. We found the good news. We'd be mad not to go back and tell them. In fact, I'd rather die. I'd rather die than not to share this message with them because if somebody can find even a glimpse of hope like we have, man, they'd understand why we're barking on what we're barking on about. And our politicians need to hear this. And those who are scared, we need to say to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's, it's such a contrary message to the to the world, isn't it? Mm. You know, how dare you tell me that I should I should sacrifice I should you know um, take up my cross and but mm. yet yet the, again the, I read in the in the scriptures in Mark ten I think uh, Matthew ten where where Jesus says you know if you try to find your life you'll lose it uh, and we've all tried to find it you know and and this is not just our mm. story so many people have tried to find it in careers or whatever mm. um, we've tried to find it and we realised that that it just didn't work for us so we actually realised to lose our life because of Jesus mm. is actually to find it yeah that's fascinating and at the heart of it James you're saying and it's interesting that you know the LGBT community is well, it's characterised, isn't it, by Pride Month. But does that actually go to the heart of actually the problem? Well, what that, that, that is part of the problem is that actually, and we're all taught this, we're taught to do it yourself, to manage it yourself. And, and if you feel that others aren't paying attention to you and aren't being sensitive to you, you try and do it yourself even more. And it is really important to say this, that even where I believe that polit parliamentarians and politicians are getting it wrong, the church itself isn't getting it fully right. Mm. The church has not taken this topic really seriously. It's not learned to listen, first of all, to our stories, listen to what has worked for us, to work out how does Jesus transform each and every life, because his word's very clear that he wants to do that, and therefore he's got a way to be able to do that. Um, and therefore, this is why I say we don't come with any judgment whatsoever against the LGBT community, but we do have to stand up and say to the LGBT community, please stop judging those of us who, to whatever degree we ex still experience same-sex attraction, in some case 100%, but we've got every right to make the choices that we want to be able to make that increase our mental health, that stop us being suicidal, that stop us self-harming, that enable us to be able to have really true, engaging, life-giving relationships with other people. Look, 
Mate, this saves taxpayers' money. Mm. This stops us having to queue up for Medicare and go to the STI clinic again every few months like we used to have to do. This, this is the opportunity for us to live a fuller life as we want to. We're not trying to stop other people from doing that. And therefore, we believe the true bigotry, the real intolerance, you know, the exclusivity is not just coming from certain people in the LGBTQ community, but it is now also coming from some of our parliamentarians who are only willing to listen to one side of the argument. We're not going to shut up. We're going to keep speaking. There are literally hundreds of us in Australia in this situation. There are thousands of us across many, many countries in the world that that are beginning to experience this. And I'd say this as well, that, you know, even if these laws are passed, pass the laws, this isn't going to stop God being God. Mm. And we're seeing more and more people who are leaving the gay community because God is giving them dreams, because God is speaking to them in the car, because God is challenging them. This is God's world. Let's just Let's just bow before him and submit ourselves. Mm-hmm. We don't need more and more and more and more legislation. Mm-hmm. We need more and more and more humility and faith in Jesus Christ. Just to add to that, I think what the what the LGBT community and the parliamentarians don't realise that they themselves are actually indirectly, be, well, indirectly or directly becoming abusers because they are preventing us and people like us from getting the help we require. So it's it's not only is it, stifling us, it's actually it's traumatising us to a degree and traumatising others but traumatising themselves because if they do decide that actually this is not what I want, they are now stuck in that situation and we don't want that for them. We want them to have that freedom to be able to choose where they want to be. Mm, right. Um, if I could ask you one last question. You're all Christians, you're all believers in Jesus, followers of him. Mm. In John 10, Jesus says the thief, which is the devil, comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. How have you seen that promise of Jesus fulfilled in your own life? Um, the, the life I'm living today is a complete opposite, uh, basically, to what it was over 10 years ago. Um, 10 years ago, I never would have thought uh, being married to a man, uh, having children of my own uh, would make me happy, content, uh, give me joy. I just didn't think it was, it wasn't on my radar. It wasn't for me. Um, but here I am uh, experiencing significant change and, and freedoms. And and I I am just so, so grateful that, that I'm living the fullest life that, that I'm able to live today. And I wouldn't have been able to achieve that without, without the supports that we've all been talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Samuel, what about you? Gosh, where do I start? Um, I think for me, just sitting here in front of this microphone, I never had the confidence to actually be this public about my life in and this vulnerable in any area of my life. I'm, I was a very, I still am quite a reserved person to some degree, but I was a very reserved and quiet person. Um, I didn't share deeply. I trusting people was very hard for me. Even I would have um, one of my sisters, her and I have a great relationship and she'd come to me with, with her problems and, 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 she'd, and I'd always, I'd want to share but I never quite felt I couldn't. And I remember once when, when I, I, I finally decided, I was like, no, I came to, back to Christ and, and I shared my story. She said, I always thought there was more that you wanted to share. And she said, I'm so glad you feel you can actually share that with me now. So I'm starting to tear up because... Because just being able to have that, and she said, our relationship and, and the way we speak to each other and the things we share 
I never would have shared that with her had I not, had I not had the experiences I've had. My my relationship with my parents, with my with most of my other siblings, has improved so much. Um, I have an openness and an honesty with my family that I've just never been able to have. But not just that, I'm seeing that the more open, honest, and vulnerable I am, that's giving my family a space and a place to actually step into and share their share their own difficulties and struggles. And Samuel, just on that, do you think the fact that you know now how loved you are in Christ gives you the confidence to be able to share? Absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's, it's the whole thing. It's almost like, well, if the world if the world turns against me, Christ will still love me. Mm. And and ultimately, that's I have to I have to, I have to humble myself and say, God, you're enough. Mm. If everyone rejects me, you will still love me. And I suppose the other thing, the side of it too, is is the the way I can connect with people now on on is at such a deeper level. Um, and but not just that, is my world is not sexualized like it used to. I, okay. I, I I used to I never realized until I started my my counseling and and really deepening my prayer. I never realized I would constantly have pornogra- pornographic images running through my mind. And it wasn't until I started to still myself in, in front of the Lord that I realized how sexualized my mind was and how driven I was by my sexual desires. I, I, and people say, oh, but you know, I had the freedom to choose. Like, yes, but it was a, it was a constrained freedom in the sense that I, I was being driven by something. Now, if I choose to go and sleep with a man, I, I can, but I don't want to um, because it's not fulfilling. And I, I see it for what it is now. Mm. Okay. Rian? Yeah, so um, I struggled a lot with uh, depression and anxiety massively. And uh, for years I was on medication um, and I'm, I'm not on that anymore. It's it's wow. it's significantly less than what it was, you know. So I used to have panic attacks and all that kind of stuff and me in hysterics and um, wouldn't leave the house for weeks at a time, isolate myself in, uh, from everybody. I didn't have – I had friends and stuff but never anyone that I was really close with that knew my personal stuff. Mm. I was always at a distance. Mm. Um, so but now – <laughs> these two men know more more about me than my own family do. These two white fellas. <laughs> and um, yeah, so and, and even you know, my some of my friends have even seen how far I've come, and they've gone, "Why are you? How are you so articulate now about how you feel?" And mm. and you're just so open. And I'm like. It's Jesus. It's Jesus, honestly, because I absolutely, like Samuel said, I would not have got up in front of like this situation or in King, Kingdom City and, and thousands of people in churches and Albany and all that kind of stuff. I would not have done that. No way I would have been like, no, nah, you're right, man. <laughs> James, last but not least. Last but not least. Uh, look, just as you said those words from John 10, 10 a about the thief coming to, to steal, to kill and destroy it just made my eyes well up. I, I'm suddenly aware that I'm sat on this seat alive, living the best life I've ever lived. Yeah. And behind me is a trail of my friends who were all dead. Uh, HIV got some of them, drug abuse got others, just profound depression, clinical depression. Some have been through ECT on the state and all they've done is just been, you know, they've had all this treatment from the state. The state has not diagnosed them properly and given them the help they need and they've taken their lives. 
I'm also noticing that when I was in the LNG community some 25, 30 years ago, that's all there was LNG, we had to get on with each other because we were a minority. Today, even the LGBTQ community is becoming more and more fragmented. It's becoming divided with each other and against each other. Um, and what's happening is we're hearing of more and more different suicides, particularly in the whole transgender side, which we haven't touched on much today. That's perhaps mm. another time. And so I'm realizing that the killing, the stealing and the destroying was happening to me, but it's still happening out there as well. And yet here we are, we are being a witness to the fact that Jesus has come to give us life and he is giving it to us to the See, full. the transgender thing, that's, a, that's another big topic and a topic for another episode, I think. But yeah. you do touch on something which we need to address before we leave this, and that is suicide. Mm. Because the suicide rates amongst LGBTI people are much higher than the general population, but it's put down to homophobia. Response? To that, what would you say in response? Because that's a big tenant in the Tasmanian Law Reform Report, that anything but affirmation will cause people who are LGBTIQ and identifying that way to kill themselves. Can I just, I mean, I'm going to jump in quick with that because what happens is in the lead-up to the 1970s, 1980s, there were literally hundreds of thousands of articles in very, very um, uh, re reputable um uh, scientific journals that talked about ways to help people who experience same-sex attraction to either accept this, come to terms with this, and in many cases to move beyond some of the underlying comorbidities that existed in their lives. What we're seeing now more than ever is we're seeing more money being pumped into LGBT stuff. We're seeing it at Coles, we're seeing it in Vodafone, we're seeing it in Bond's underwear, we're seeing it in Disney, we're seeing it everywhere. Apparently it's all got to be accepted and celebrated and yet we are seeing more and more worsening mental health of our young people. And we're seeing more suicides. Why? Because we've stopped providing an opportunity for people to make the, have the opportunity to be able to explore some of the comorbidities that exist in people's lives, some of the underlying issues. Our issues wasn't really same-sex attraction. That was the manifestation of the issues themselves. Deal with the issues, the same-sex attraction is somewhere that either comes into a healthy place or a manageable place, or something that doesn't really exist or run your life at all. That therefore deeply lowers the suicidal ideation. So in answer to your question shortly, if they don't permit people the freedom to address these comorbidities, and the laws they're passing in Australia now are preventing that, of course we're gonna see more suicides. So let me ask you then a very difficult question. It's a, and it's a very personal one. If you were not sitting in this seat today, if you were not followers of Jesus, do you think you would still be alive? No. 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 I don't think so. Absolutely. No. No, I wouldn't. Yeah. Why do you say that so no. definitively? I mean, I, I came from a very stable background, so may, maybe, you know, having having stable people around me I would, would still be alive, but I certainly wouldn't have the fullness of life that I experience. But I, I did have suicidal thoughts, um, so I, I don't know where I would be today. Mm. Uh, same, same, same for me. When, when I first, I also experienced gender dysphoria around the age of 14, 15, as well as same-sex attraction and, and other, other issues too along with that, and that left me very deeply confused mm. and I felt, I, was, I felt suicidal. But not just that, before I came back to Christ, I hit literal rock bottom and I, I, I was just miserable. And it was encountering Christ that brought me back to life. But not just that, it's my own sexual abuse actually 
permitted me to be sexually assaulted. And it wasn't until I started counselling that I... Because you didn't feel worthy of being treated with respect? Because that's how I was... That's what I was used to. Mm -hmm. It's not that I didn't feel worthy of of being treated with respect. I Mm -hmm. was used to not being treated with respect. It Mm -hmm. set me... It set my sexual abuse, set me up for sexual assault. And sexual assault is rife in the LGBT community. I've spoken to many people I know who still practice in in that community and who have left that community. And I've relayed my story and they've said, oh, I've been through something similar. They said, but I never would have called it sexual abuse. I, I just thought it was normal. A sexual assault, it diminishes the human spirit. It, it's crushing for the human for the human spirit. And it just leaves you empty, shattered, and and I'm going to use the word broken. Rihan? Yeah, I, you know where I was um, in my journey. If if I didn't, I could have still been back in the Muslim community, to be absolutely honest, um, but still trying to do the same sex attraction. And probably if I if I did eventually get into another relationship, I, because I was already down and out from where I was already, and then if another relationship didn't work, I probably would have because of, you know, you get to a point where you just you have enough, mm. you had enough of just trying to do it yourself and 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 trying to um, get by with just knowing whatever you know. Do you know what I mean? And and have no connection. Uh, with anybody, I didn't have any family in my life at that stage as well. You know, that's another kettle of fish. But it's just uh, being also being Aboriginal. I can't imagine from the person I was before to the person I am now. It's completely different. Mm. I, I don't know. You know, I, I think back to like how could I've got to got to that state. Uh, of being in those relationships, being a strong-headed Aboriginal woman that I am. Um, but the thing is is that um, it's got to break down at some point. I feel I feel that Jesus needs to get you to that lowest point for him to make his power known. Okay. Yeah. Mm. I, I can clearly say that I wouldn't be alive just because um, it's through the therapy, through the support network, uh, through my spiritual journey that... Literally years and years of sexual abuse was raised before me. Um, If I had not dealt with that, then I would have continued going through domineering sexual activity. Mm. I was ending up in very perverted places it was. I was surrounded by people who were seriously and heavily into drugs. And as I say, the greater majority of people I knew in the gay community, they were dead within 15, 20 years of my leaving that community. Why should my life have been any different? And yet I know now that I had got layers and layers and layers of trauma. And I thank God for the therapists and the counsellors who turned around and walked with me. I thank God for the church that walked with me as well and sought to humble itself alongside me and to offer me a message of hope. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I take every day... Um, as being just a day of new mercies. And I'm just grateful to God for the fact I'm alive mm-hmm. and I keep speaking this out too. Yeah, it's a fantastic note to end on. It reminds me of the passage in Lamentations where it talks about that the Lord's, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed because his mercies are new every morning. That's great right. is his That's faithfulness. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Leah, Samuel. Thank you so much. I'm going to call you Rihanna, Brian, <laughs> and, of course, James. It's been great to have you with us. Great every to blessing you to your time with us down here in Tassie. We look forward to maybe the next time you guys come in and we can do maybe a, a round two and we'll talk about That's it. That's fantastic. We look forward to that. Yeah, thank right. you, Mark. 
Well, this has been another episode of AP's Profiles in Christian Living. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and look forward to seeing you next time.